In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today we celebrate the day of Pentecost, this major event in the history of our faith, which is recounted for us in the book of Acts chapter 2, read this morning in Belize Creole by Althea. And on Pentecost we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, foretold by Jesus in our readings this morning from John's Gospel, read in, as you might have just heard, a few different languages. The story goes that after the resurrection, Jesus continued to appear to the disciples for 40 days, teaching them about some of the things that were to come. And like so many things in Jesus' teachings, for the disciples, there's only so much that they can comprehend with the rational part of their brains, and this is no different. Yet Jesus seems to think it is important for them to have at least some notion of what this will all mean. Apparently, it's very, very important for them what it will mean for the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the spirit of truth to come to them, and what it means for the coming of this thing called the kingdom of God. Before his ascension, before he leaves them and ascends to the Father, he tells them to wait, that they will receive power to do even greater things, even greater things than Jesus himself when they receive the Holy Spirit. And so they wait. And one day, gathered together in the same house, suddenly this event occurs, which defies easy, straightforward description, where in one moment things are very ordinary, and in the next, somehow, things have changed in that room. And among other things, the disciples are given the gift of proclaiming the gospel in languages other than their own which they immediately set out doing into the crowds of people gathered in Jerusalem that day for the feast from across the known world. We get one of the best lines, uh, in my opinion, in the entire Bible in this story where they're doing this, the speaking of different languages, and they're accused of being drunk. And Peter says, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. It's in the Bible. <laughs> And from this unexpected, cacophonous moment of universal spiritual awakening, we are told that about 3,000 people are baptized and become the first Christian community as we know it. And this marks the beginning of the church. And this is, in some unique way, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of God about whom it seems to be the least possible to approach, to describe, to conceptualize with our words, or at least other than words of metaphor, not of empirical data or categories. To some extent, this is always true. Anytime we talk about God, you'll have heard me say this before, I'm sure. Language always already necessarily fails if it's trying to say something, describe, give any kind of full description of God. By definition, God, it just can't do it. With Jesus, at least, we can talk about a person who lived and loved and argued and partied and did amazing things, all of that. But with the Holy Spirit, even in scripture, it can seem as though we're only able to gesture toward what exactly we mean by it. We get images of cloud, fire, breath, a still small voice, a dove descending, wisdom, truth, 
consolation, all these words are trying their best to point us in their limited, failing way to something ineffable. It's an important point about language itself that we remember on Pentecost. Spirit, the word, of course, in Greek and in Hebrew, fundamentally means breath, as in breathe in, breathe out, inspire, expire. Maybe we know a little too much about that or thinking a little too much about it in the third year of a respiratory pandemic, but we also know about it from that feeling of being caught up in something, in a feeling when you're in a crowd of people and your experience of joy or excitement or anxiety or righteous anger, whatever it is, is shared, is communal. It creates a kind of communion between discrete persons, a we and us. And we believe that this is an aspect of that mystery that we call God, that core truth about what God is. A core truth is this basic notion of relationship, that we are made for relationship because God is a relation of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us in another place, even he, by metaphor, that the Spirit of God is also like the wind. You can't see it, and you don't know from where to where it goes, when you feel it, but you feel it. And indeed, it blows wherever it feels like. And so it is with God's spirit. It seems that our best understanding of anything about the Holy Spirit with any depth comes out of this. It comes from a relational, emotional, deeply experiential way. One of our hymns today <clears throat> talks about the sweetness of the spirit that fills this room, the sweetness we experience when we are all met together in this place or someplace like it, simply to be together as a community and to celebrate this new abundant life that we have all found, that we have all been given by God, by grace. And the hymn says that when you feel that, you know, you know that it's the spirit of the Lord. And that's the thing we can trust and it is a joyful thing. I think that sweetness of the spirit too comes when things are less than joyful. When we look around at some of the places in our world that <clears throat> feel like absolute dead-end roads, the dead-end road of the politics of gun violence in this country, the dead-end road of the same talking points about it ad nauseum designed to shut down the debate about it, to preclude understanding instead of fostering it, trying to make for us a way beyond some nihilistic acquiescence to the death of innocence, we say that we feel the spirit when, in moments like that, moments of mourning and loss and despondency in our common life, not unlike the disciples gathered in the house that day, probably, a little bit, they had just lost their savior to violence. We say it's the spirit when it seems like there's no way forward, when we are broken and exhausted and weary, and then something, somehow, breaks through. A fresh spirit of justice, of truth, of hope, of understanding across barriers of language and culture and suspicion of the other breaks through. That is the spirit too. And also nothing like the disciples, it seems that our task today too is to wait and to watch and to pray for the inbreaking of that spirit in our national life. <clears throat> we celebrate today that this is something that happens suddenly just like on the day of Pentecost, when things seem totally 
like a dead end. This day of Pentecost, which has gone down in history as one of the greatest spiritual experiences ever recorded, the spirit breaks in and shakes things up. Suddenly, with a rush of wind and sound, tongues of fire splitting off over their heads, the disciples found themselves able to speak and be heard. It is like a great reversal of the ancient story of the Tower of Babel, where the great fracturing of all humanity begins in a moment to be woven back together. Impossible. And yet, and yet, like Mary's song when she reflects as the spirit overshadows her, that what seem like the staid and stable foundations of hard power in this world are not so, and that it is God's work that the mighty are cast down from their thrones and the lowly are lifted up. We say today and all days that this is the work of the spirit. The work of that same sweet spirit draws us together as a community in baptism, adopts us into a family that transcends time and space and geography and language and race. And it is trusting in that spirit, that sweet spirit that blows where she will and gives us grace and power to change our world, that we welcome Camilla Rose, Beatrice Amanda to the family this morning. And as we do, indeed, we feel that sweet, sweet spirit, and we know that it is the spirit of the Lord. Amen. <laughs>